Let me just echo what Pastor Mouton said. We have an awesome team here at Relevant Church. I mean, uh, he, I was just over there. He's like, save your voice, you know. But when your worship team sounds as good as these guys does, does, it is hard not to just sing out with all you have just to praise God. And so just awesome job, worship team. Um, last week, we had Lewis here uh, preaching for us. Lewis isn't here this week, so I'm going to go ahead and, and lift him up a little bit. He did a great job last week, didn't he? Yes, I wasn't here, but I got to listen to it, um, and it was just an amazing message. wasn't here because me and Kim traveled down to Louisville, met my parents sort of halfway between here and Arkansas. So good news, I got to see some family, got a weekend away, got a little vacation. Bad news for y'all, I was back down south, so my accent started coming back a little bit stronger. So you might have to uh, really listen to understand what I'm saying this morning. All right. So this morning, uh, we're going to continue with our Bad Religion series. We're going to be back in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. If you don't have a Bible this morning, you can go ahead and raise your hand. Our house crew team will will pass out these Bibles to you. Um, If you're getting one of the Bibles that house crew is passing out, we're going to be on page 566. So while the house crew is passing those out, I got a little confession to make to y'all. So right now, I'm finishing up my last semester of school. So yeah, whoop, 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 like five weeks left starting tomorrow. Five weeks, so that's all I got to do. Five more weeks and I'm done and I'm never doing school again. (laughs) Never. But in that, my confession is I am a terrible student. Terrible. Um, And Kim can attest to this. Me and Kim went to college together. We met in college. Uh, Me and Kim had a couple of classes together, uh, particularly a sociology class. Dr. Gregory uh, taught that class. Um, and this was a Tuesday-Thursday class, so it was an hour and 15 minutes long. All your Tuesday-Thursday classes were always an hour and 15 minutes long. And I could not sit through a full class. Couldn't do it. Just wasn't going to happen. So we'd be sitting there next to each other in class. I'd look over at Kim, give her the look, sort of shake my head, and I would get up and I was out of there. I'd leave my stuff there because I was going to come back, but I just wasn't going to sit in there the entire class. I was gone. I was either going to the gym, I'd shoot some hoops during the class, maybe go get a snack, get some coffee, something like that. But there was no way I was sitting through an entire class. ADD, I was out the window. This is before we had smartphones, so I couldn't be checking my Facebook. I had a Razor flip phone, which is probably the best phone ever. I think some of y'all might agree. But I was using this Razor razor flip phone, uh, but I I couldn't do that in class. So I had to leave the class. Uh, A couple of other things that I wouldn't do. I love to read. Love to read, but I only want to read the stuff that I want to read. You give me an assignment, a book to read, I'm probably not going to read that book. It's just not going to happen. And, you know, you'd have to write reports on books. Well, how did I do that? Well, I mean, I would judge a book by its cover. That's what I'd do, because I'm not dumb enough to open up that thing and read it. So, but it always worked out for me, you know. I, I never made a B in my entire life. I didn't make a whole lot of A's either, but I didn't make a B in my entire life. Um, So I'm just just kidding, but (laughs) anyways, one book that I did read that I was forced to read in high school was the book Animal Farm. Anybody ever read Animal Farm? Yes, yeah, it's it's a pretty good book. It was written in the 1940s by George Orwell, and this book was, the entire thing was a representation of something else. So as you read the books, there, there was a thing called animalism. So all these animals formed together, and animalism represented communism. Um, the, the pigs in the book represented different uh, Russian leaders, uh, Lenin, Marx, uh, czars. 
um, manor farm. The farm that they lived on was Russia. The dogs were the secret police. The horse was just the common people. Um, and the whole book was an allegory. And it was representing 1917, Russia, the Russian Revolution. And it was representing uh, the beginning of the Soviet Union. So there was this allegory there. And what an allegory is, and I had to print this out because I'm from Arkansas, so I don't know these things typically. So, uh, Allegory is a story, poem, or picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, typically a moral or political one. So George Orwell used all these different characters to represent something completely different and represent something else. And so today we're going to read more about how Paul used an allegory to talk to these Gentiles in Galatia and talk to them about uh, the law versus the promise of what God had for them. So just a, a side note for any of the authors in the room. I know we got Rhonda and Matt back there who write books. If you write a book and you want me to read it, it's got to be animals as characters and things like that to keep my attention. So um, before we go any further, I'm going to go ahead and pray over the service. Lord, we love you. We thank you for bringing us here together. And we just thank you for your word. Um, and we just thank you for... Um, what it does to us and, and where it leads us and what it teaches us, Lord. Um, Lord, today I just ask that you to speak through me <clears throat> and, and bring your word today. Um, and don't let me and, and my accent or and, and my, my uh, just flubbing words to, to interrupt what you have to say today, Lord. Uh, we love you, we praise you, and in your name we pray. Amen. So in Galatians chapter 4, uh, we'll be in verse 19 through 31. Uh, Paul writes, he says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do not listen to the law. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave but we are of the free woman. Amen. All right. So just a little background for those of you who may not have been here through this series. Um, Paul planted a series of churches in Galatia. And Galatia was uh, an area, it was filled with Gentiles. So Gentiles are basically, if you're not Jew, you're a Gentile. Um, so Paul's planted this church there, and, and this church began to thrive. Um, it started forming. He was telling them about the truth of Jesus Christ. And people started coming to understand and know Jesus for who he was. But then as time went on, Paul had to move on. He began teaching at other churches, began spreading the gospel to other places. And as he left, other people came in to teach these people. And these people started bringing in uh, 
a new gospel, if you will. Um, they started teaching the people, well, if you want to follow this Jewish Messiah, you have to become a Jew yourself. And you have to start obeying all these Jewish laws. Um, and, and so they would th tell them things like, you have to take these kosher laws. You have to be circumcised. All these different things that the Jews were having to do, you need to do those now in order to follow Jesus. Um, and, and really, this, this just hurt Paul. Uh, it hurt Paul to know that he'd come in and he'd taught them this one thing, and now they're falling away and listening to this false teaching. And they're hearing this false uh, preaching from, from these legalizers, uh, these Judaizers, who had come in to teach them what the law said versus what uh, the gospel of Christ tells us. So what's the big deal here? Um, sort of the whole thing that we've been talking about through this bad religion series. And the big deal is if someone can do something to earn their salvation, then there was no need for Jesus to ever die for us. There was no need for him to go to the cross. Um, his death makes no sense. So that was the big deal. And this just pained Paul that these people were falling into that. It hurt him. Um, he says in verses 19 through 20, he says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. For I am perplexed by you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Now, believe it or not, I've never had a baby myself. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, but I got two boys, and I, I, this is a painful experience. They, they say that having a baby is the most pain that you can ever suffer. Um, it goes beyond the pain level of anything that a uh, normal human could, could understand and go through. But, but Paul says, like, this is making him feel like he's going through childbirth again with them. I mean, I'm sure none of you that have had a kid ever want to go through that really again. Like, evidently moms forget about that, and that's why we're having our third baby. But, um, <laughs> but that's uh, the thing. Like, it, childbirth is painful, and Paul's experiencing the same pain in knowing that he's already taught them something, and now that they're, they're going away from that just by, because the, the next people that came in are, are doing this. And Paul wishes he could be there with them, but he can't be. So he's writing them this letter to explain to them... Um, that what, they, what they're being taught is not the, tr not the truth. But it's here that, that Paul really begins teaching the, uh, the, the Galatians again. Um, he goes from his anguish to, to teaching. And so in verse 22, he says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. And this is going to bring us to our first point. Our first point is bad religion relies on our own understanding. Relationship goes to the source. So what Paul didn't do here, Paul didn't just say, listen, y'all should believe this because I'm telling y'all this. Paul says, for it is written. He goes to the scripture to explain to them what he's trying to say to them. Um, it, listen, a, a lot of us in here, and guilty as charged. We're theologians, but we don't open up the Bible. Yeah, we'll, we'll tell you exactly what we think. We'll say, well, you know, this is what I think God's really wanting us to think and what God's really wanting us to do. But until we open up the Bible and really read and understand what it is that God tells us, hey, there's a lot of things that God says in the Bible that I think, maybe that's a little harsh. But it's what God's word is, and God knows way more than me. So I'm, I'm not going to rely on my own understanding. I have to go to the source. And that's what Paul did here. Um, too many times we try to make the Bible conform to, to our thoughts instead of conforming our thoughts to what the Scripture says. 
2 uh, Timothy, Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So all scripture comes from God. And we need to realize that if we're actually going to understand what the Bible's telling us, we need to un- read the Bible to understand what it is. Just like Paul did, he went back to the scripture and uh, ex- used it to explain his point. Now, another thing I want y'all to understand here, this story that Paul's about to tell, he grew up here in this story. This, is his, this was like a history lesson for him. Paul was a scholar. Um, he knew the Jewish faith backwards and forth. He knew everything about it. He was a Jew among Jews. He, he, just, he knew what the, the scripture said, and he could quote it. But what Paul's about to teach them is not something he grew up being taught. This was, like I said, this was a history lesson to him. But he's going to use this instead of, of just being a history lesson. He's going to use this as an allegory to teach them about um, the law and what God's promised us. So uh, just something to, to keep in mind there. I, as I grew up, there was a lot of things that I was taught growing up in a small country town in northeast Arkansas. That now that I've grown up and, and started reading the Bible for myself and digging into that word, that I've realized... Maybe that was, that was a little bit off. Um, and so this is the same thing that Paul's doing here. And so we need to understand that we can't just take someone's word for it. Please, today, that's why we hand out teaching notes. We want you to take notes and then go back home and study that and see, was what Derek said, is that really right? That just didn't sound right to me. And if I'm wrong, call me on it. Like, come back next week and call me on it. Tell me, tell me where I, I messed up. Because I need to know, and I, I want to be corrected in that. It says the Bible's good for correcting. Um, and then me and you will argue about it, and you'll find out that I was right. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> trying to... Uh, no, I, I'll be more than happy to explain when I'm wrong. Um, but that's what Paul did. He used the scripture to go back and to tell these people and to show these people um, why following the law was not what they should be doing. We're going to move on to verse 22. For it is written... Uh, that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. So um, he goes back and he's talking about in Genesis, mostly in chapters like 15 through 21. Um, so you can go back and read that uh, to, to get the full story. I'm going to give you the, the Derek Cliff Notes version of that. Um, so uh, Abraham was promised a child. Um, God tells Abraham, he says, I'm going to make you the father of a nation. And so uh, Abraham and Sarah, they hear this, and they think, what? What is going on here? Because this is not an atypical, this is not like a happy newlywed couple. Abraham is like 75 at this point when God promises him that he's going to have a child. Sarah is 65. Um, I I don't know about y'all, I'm 32, we're having our third and last baby because I know I'm too old for babies. Yes, yes. I didn't say Kim was too old, I'm too old. So I'm 32 and I'm too old for babies. And I've got a theory in my head that if you have a baby after 32, you're either one crazy or, I'm just saying, you're either one crazy or two, you said oops. And so those, those are the two reasons you have a baby after 32. Um, so... 
But Abraham is 75, and God says, you're going to have a baby. And Abraham and Sarah both have a good laugh about it, and God's like, no, you're going to have a baby. And this baby, you're going to uh, be the father of a nation. And so Abraham and Sarah sort of grapple with this in their mind. They get this understanding, and they're like, okay, this is going to happen. And so they start preparing. Well, there's another problem. Sarah's barren. Sarah's never had a child. Any lady that's 65 in this time and has had a kid, uh, it's because that they're probably there was issues and that they, they just couldn't have kids. So not only are they too old to have kids, but they're barren. And this is before the days of in vitro fertilization. There's no such thing as Viagra. Like there, there's, there's no way that they're going to be able to have a baby. But they still rely on this, um, and they still uh, believe that what God has said for them is going to happen. Well, time goes on. In fact, 10 years go on, and still no baby. And so Sarah starts thinking, just like we do when God promises to do, that he'll do something for us. She starts thinking, and she says, well, God's promised us this baby. It hasn't happened yet. I'm barren. I'm not getting any younger. Abraham's not getting any younger. So here's what we should do. And there, in these days, there was this common practice when uh, the lady of the house couldn't have a baby, that they would take their, their maiden, their, their servant, and they would give that servant to their husband, and the husband could sleep with that lady, impregnate her, and then the, the baby that the, the servant had would be given to the lady of the house, and it would become hers. She would raise that child as hers. So Sarah says, this is perfect. This is exactly what we can do. And so she offers up Hagar, her servant woman, to Abraham. Abraham's like, okay, cool. And so then they, uh, <laughs> so they uh, go, uh, he, he sleeps with Hagar. Hagar has a baby, and they name this baby Ishmael. But there's one problem. God says, that's not the baby I promised you. That's, that's not the baby I promised you. And so that leads to other issues. Now there's a little animosity in the camp between Sarah, Hagar, and this, this baby that's there. But then more time goes on. So at this point, Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah is 99. And if you thought 65 and 75 was too old to have babies, 100-year-old is way too old to have babies. By this point, they should probably be having great grandkids and stuff. But God says, all right, it's time. So Sarah gets pregnant at 90. God, I can't even imagine. Gets pregnant at 90, um, and she has a son, and they named the son Isaac. And God says, this is the son that I promised you. So um, important things from this story that I want to get, point number two, bad religion is self-reliant. Relationship waits on God's timing. So too often when we're promised something from God, we don't want to wait on what God's given us. We want, to, we want it now. We live in the time of everything is now. Everything's constant. I mean, if I need to know something, I get my iPhone, I go to Google, and then I learn it. I know it instantly. Um, and, and so we want things right now, instantly. But we don't wait on God's timing. We need to wait for what God has in store for us. Wait on, on the promise that God's given us. Um, but instead, we, we move forward and we try to do things on our own. And let me tell you how big of a problem this became for them. Not only was there animosity in this camp, um, not only did Hagar think that now her son was going to be this promised child, but this led to, to issues even further down. We're still experiencing issues from, from this 
this uh, story. Um, you get the, the roots of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict from this story, which happened thousands of years ago. We're still battling these, these same things that happened from this story. Um, but when we rely on ourselves instead of God's timing, then that's what happens. We have an Ishmael. We have this, this thing that, is, that becomes a problem for us. It became so much of a problem that when uh, Sarah, they're having a weaning party, essentially, for Isaac, and when they're having this party, Hagar and Ishmael are off in the corner just sort of scoffing at everything, sort of, okay. Um, and Sarah says, I've had it. I've had enough. And she tells Abraham to kick him out of the camp. And so Abraham does. So there's a lot of problems that come when we rely on ourselves instead of waiting on God's timing. Um, so how does that really relate to, to what they're going through? Well, Paul's going to go in and tell us about that now. Verse 24. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Excuse me. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. All right. So, if you're like me, first time you read that, that's as clear as mud. You're like, what, what is Paul actually trying to say here? Um, so I broke it down to something, and put that on the screen right quick. It's going to be point number three, and that's clear as mud too, I'm sure for y'all. Hagar equals Ishmael, equals Mount Sinai, equals Jerusalem, equals law. I'm going to break that down for y'all a little bit so that it, it makes sense. It makes sense to me. It's more of an outline than, than anything. So Hagar is this slave woman, this servant woman that Sarah has given to Abraham to do what she thinks is going to fulfill the promise that God's given them. So through Hagar comes Ishmael, her son. So Ishmael becomes the son of flesh. He is not the son of promise that, that God has told them about. He is the son of flesh. Um, and so God's promised them a son, but instead they've made this own problem of theirs in, in the form of Ishmael. Um, the scripture says that now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. So I want you to understand that Arabia is not the Saudi Arabia that we, we think of today. Arabia was the larger region in that time. So don't think that Mount Sinai is necessarily in Arabia. Um, but Mount Sinai, what do we know about Mount Sinai? That's where Moses got the Ten Commandments from. So what Paul's saying here is through Hagar... Whoa, let me fix that right quick. Ooh, that's loud, too. Maybe it'll stay. All right, so, so Moses got the Ten Commandments. He got the law from Mount Sinai. So Paul's saying that Hagar is representing Mount Sinai, which represents Jerusalem. So Mount Sinai equals Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, um, as it's talked about in here, Jerusalem is the seat. It's the center of Judaism. So all the Jews are there. All these people that are coming to Galatia to teach them are coming from Jerusalem, and they're teaching them what they're hearing here at Jerusalem. Um, and so what they're hearing is the law. So once again, we're talking about this allegory that Paul has, is explaining to the church in, in Galatia. And so what Paul is doing here is saying that Hagar, she not only represents Mount Sinai, she not only rep represents Jerusalem, but putting all that together, Hagar is representing the law. So this child of flesh 
that Hagar had, this lineage that's going to come through him is going to be coming from the law. It's coming from the flesh. Um, what the, what they, the practice that they actually used was a common practice that they lo- used in the Judaism in that time. So all that was from the law. Now moving on, verse 26. But the Jerusalem from above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud. You who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Point number four, um, same sort of equation. So Sarah, so we have this this, um, splitting of paths here. Sarah and Hagar. Sarah is Abraham's wife, and it's through her that God had intended for this promise to come. So through Sarah comes Isaac, um, and then in the scripture here, it talks about this uh, Jerusalem above, and what that's talking about is heaven. So I could have put Jerusalem above it up there in place, uh, but I put Calvary instead, because it's not about us just getting to heaven. There was an act, a one single act that allows us to be able to go to that Jerusalem above, and that's through Calvary, and that's where Jesus died for us on the cross. And so this is sort of one of the points that Paul's trying to drive home, that it's not about what we're doing and those actions and living by that law, but it's about what Christ did for us on the cross that's going to allow us to get to that Jerusalem above. After Jesus died on that cross, he left us the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. So again, it's not by what we're doing, but it's by being led by that Spirit that's going to help us to receive that promise that, that God gave us. So the allegory here... Sarah is representing Calvary, she's representing the Spirit, and she represents this promise that God's given us. Whereas Hagar represents, uh, she represents Jerusalem, she represents the law. She is representing everything on that path that Paul's telling us to stay away from. Now this verse in here, this rejoice, O barren one. Paul, again, he's going back and using scripture to explain to these people. This is uh, almost a direct quote from Isaiah 54. Paul says, Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. So what Paul's talking about here, he's saying that um, this barren woman, this old barren lady, the fruits from her children are going to be so much greater than the fruits from this other woman. Her fruits are going to, where the fruits of of Hagar are of the law and and following that law and obeying the kosher rules and being circumcised and those things, um, which is is all acts that we're going to do. The fruits from Sarah are going to be the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we're going to get more into that in the next upcoming weeks. But those are the fruits that Sarah is bringing whereas the fruits that Hagar are bringing are from the law. Um, and so the, the fruit of this barren woman is going to be so much greater than the fruit of this other lady. <clears throat> Verse 29. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also is it, it is now. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So what Paul's saying is 
not only did when, in, in this time when Sarah and Hagar and them were here, I mean, Hagar and Ishmael, as I said, they were, they were in the back corner at that party just, just scoffing at what was going on. They were almost offended about this. They began persecuting Sarah and, and Isaac. Um, and so Sarah made Abraham kick them out of the camp. Um, so just like what they were doing was persecuting the, the promise these new uh, Judaizers, these new legalizers that had come to, to Galatia to teach these things, they were persecuting this church by teaching them the wrong thing, by teaching them that, hey, you have to follow all of these rules. And Paul's saying here, we don't have to follow these rules. We are not under the law like this slave woman. We're free like this free woman, like Sarah. Um, that's going to lead us to point five. Bad religion excludes us from Abraham's inheritance. Relationship leads us to Christ's promise. So, um, in this, just like Sarah and Abraham kicked, just like Sarah and Abraham kicked uh, Isaac, or excuse me, Ishmael and Hagar out of the camp, um, following the law is, is going to keep us from inheriting what this promise of Abraham was. So in order for us to fulfill and, and live up to this promise and, and receive this promise, it's not about what we're going to be doing, but it's about being free and accepting God and accepting Jesus Christ for what he, he said that he's done. John 8, 31 through 36 says, <clears throat> this is Jesus speaking. He says, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So the son sets you free, you will be free Indeed. So what Jesus is saying here is the same thing that Paul is echoing. That we are not, we're living under the law, we're slaves to that law. The thing is, if you're going to keep the law, you have to keep every bit of the law. And that's impossible. No one can do that. And really, the only thing that has to be done is there had to be a sacrifice made for us. And this sacrifice was all done by Jesus on Calvary. And that makes a way for us to enter that Jerusalem above someday. It's by accepting that, that freedom that Christ offers. Um, and one thing to keep in mind here is they, they said, we're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? That wasn't exactly true. We know through the scripture that these people were slaves to the Egyptians. They were slaves to the Assyrians. Um, they were, even at this point in time, when, when Jesus is walking the earth, they're under Roman rule. They're essentially slaves to that. And now they're slaves to the law. And so Jesus is trying to tell them that, that, listen, you're, you're doing all these things to try to earn grace and try to earn favor. But those things are completely irrelevant to your salvation. They're completely irrelevant to, to living a life that is free uh, of this condemnation. So point number six is Jesus is greater than the law. 
So we started this series with, uh, with one uh, uh, equation. That was Jesus plus anything or equals, or Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So we're going to end it this, this uh, portion of this uh, series today with this equation. Jesus is greater than the law. So what we're, what we're trying to understand here is there's a difference between the religion that some of us have, have grown up here in, um, that some of us have flipped our mindset to being into, and the good news of the gospel and what Christ has in store for us. There's a difference in this. Um, in religion, we're trying to free ourselves. You're, you're trying to do all these different things in order to, to gain an acceptance through Christ. When in all actuality, he's the one that's already done everything for you. Um, a story about myself. I grew up in church. Ever since I can remember, I've been in church. If the doors were open, I was there. Um, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, the second Saturday night singings. If there was a revival, um, if someone else was having a revival, we were there. And I grew up in this. And I started serving in the church at a young age. I was about 13 when I became the, the song leader in our church. It was a small little country church. Um, but I was, I was the song leader there. When I became turned 16, I started teaching the teenage Sunday school class. So I was a teenager teaching the teens. And this whole time, in my mind, I was like, okay, I'm doing everything that I need to be doing in order to, to continue uh, my walk with Christ. But this didn't lead me anywhere. My senior year in high school, I really started feeling empty in my life. I started feeling like there was... There was just a, a spot in my heart where I didn't know what wasn't there, but there was something missing. I was like, God, what is missing? I mean, I'm doing everything I need to be doing. I, all my friends that go to church, all my Christian friends, like I'm a way better person than they are. I'm so much better than they are. But there was still this hole in my heart. There was still this emptiness. And it wasn't until I got to college that I started walking with some other Christians and seeing them walk in this faith and seeing that they were doing, they were more than just doers, they were beers. They were um, not trying to do anything to earn their salvation. They were just living this life and accepting the grace that God gave them through salvation. And it took me a while to understand that this hole in my heart, this, this thing that was missing, it couldn't be filled by doing things. It couldn't be filled by teaching Sunday school classes or standing up in front of people and singing songs. But it can only be filled by accepting this grace that Jesus had, had given me, that he had granted to me. And so it was in college that I really began to realize this and, and just really took that in and let that build me up. And it filled my heart and it allowed me to see that I, what I was doing was wrong. That I was living a legalistic lifestyle. That it was all about doing and not about living. So just like Jesus said um, in, in John chapter 8, he said, Very truly I tell you, everyone who is sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So this child of Hagar was sent away. He had no permanent place in that family. He was the child of flesh. But Isaac was this child of promise. And he had a place in the family. 
Jesus went on to say, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So a lot of us here, we're, we are of that mindset that I'm not living by the law. I, I, I don't want to live by that. But you are maybe living with that, hey, I'm doing enough. I'm doing enough to get by. I'm doing enough to, to people to see that hey, Jesus is in me. And this is a hard pill to swallow because it's something that I still have a hard time getting past. That I want to do, 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 do in order to, to show what I'm, I'm, I can do for God. But I know that it's not about what I'm doing, but it's about what God's doing in me and through me in order for others to see that. If you're trying to live by the law, you can't do it. You can't keep all those laws. As much as you try, it just doesn't work. Um, the only way that you can truly be set free is by coming to Jesus, putting your faith and trust in him, and just saying, I can't do this by my own flesh. I want to accept that promise that you've given me. I'm, I'm going to receive that grace that you've given me and live the life that you want me to live through that. So if, if there's someone in here today that hasn't accepted that freedom in Christ, that's never, never really know what that's uh, like to be free, we're going to pray in a minute uh, and, and talk about that. There's a, another group in here um, that many of us, we, we, we love Jesus. We believe in Jesus. But we've established all these rules that we have to follow. And if we don't live up to those rules, then what, what does that mean? Additionally, when someone else isn't living up to those rules, we begin to judge them and, and just put all these things on them. We've acquired these legalistic tendencies. Um, and really, we began to worship them over worshiping God. And that's what this whole sermon series is about. It's about putting Christ above whatever legalistic uh, tendency it is that we have. And so today, I'm just going to encourage you to, to just ask God to free you of whatever those legal tendencies are, uh, the, those legalistic thoughts are in your mind. Just ask God to free you of those so that you can live free and free indeed. Jesus has done the work. All we need to do is come to the table, sit down, and enjoy this company so right now I'm going to lead us in a prayer um, Lord we love you we thank you for being greater than the law we thank you for just what you did for us on Calvary and we thank you for that being enough to cover a multitude of anything that we could ever do and so Lord we ask right now that if there's anyone in here that has those, those legalistic tendencies you would just free them of them that you would just um, fill their heart with grace and your love uh, and help them to remember that by doing it's 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 they're never going to be able to do enough to earn uh earn what you've done for them so lord we love them people and we just ask you to just work in them and lord for those that have not accepted your freedom today um lord we just ask you to just give them the, the strength and courage just to say i can't do this on my own and to accept you today we love you and praise you. Let me pray.